Salt. I know that sounds like an appropriate topic for the world in which we're living. Um, you know, we were just completing this, um, this valley exhortation that we were doing on Facebook. And uh, that was a lot of fun to do, trying to discover places to go in the sanctuary or various parts of the facility so that you all might feel at least you were here when you couldn't be here. And uh, one of the things that I was going to teach on was the Valley of Salt and how uh, there were battles that took place that God won great victories in, in in the Valley of Salt in the Scripture. And the more I thought about it and prayed about it, the more I thought, this is, as Ricky Ricardo would say, this is going to take some real splaining. And uh, that's racist. I can't say that anymore, right? Splaining. Lucy. <clears throat> anyway, but I thought there's no way I'm going to be able to make this an exhortation in three or four minutes. It's just not going to work. And so as I was studying about the Valley of Salt, the Lord kept bringing me to this covenant of salt business. And the more I would see it, the more God was impressing that it is a point of power that we need to be believing for in our lives. And so um, I want to begin this by reminding you of the other things that we've talked about regarding salt and what it meant in those biblical days. And salt was uh, a, a point of salary for a lot of the Roman legions. Uh, so it, it had incredible worth. Salt was a preservative, so it could help you to, you know, they didn't have refrigerators or igloos or anything of that nature, so you could process meat and it would last for a long period of time so that you could go out and not have to forage for food if you were on a hard march or something of that nature. Salt was curative, it was healing, it was cleansing. And it, it really was a valuable, a valuable element uh, in that ancient society. It was highly prized. And we've studied about that in the past, but I really think that God wants to add to that understanding with what this covenant of salt means for us. Now, in the Old Testament, the covenant of salt was utilized to describe uh, the relationship with God to his kings, to his priests, and to the meal of the grain offering, which was really the, the sustenance offering. It really spoke about the fullness of your blessing. You know, there were other kinds of offerings that expressed different things, but the grain offering, the meal offering, was really that God, on an overall level, was providing for you. So the covenant of salt was in all three of those things. And here you have, um, in 2 Chronicles 13, you have King Abijah from, uh, the, from Judah, um, and he was about to go to battle against the, the, the northern kingdom. And he stands up on the hill and he says to everybody, all of you people in the north, you're really fighting against God because God promised to 
David, my forefather, that the covenant of salt was with us. And the Bible in this passage goes on to say that the north had um, children of Belial, sons of Belial. It had a lot of other wicked influences that were mixed in with it. But here, in no uncertain terms, before the battle, the covenant of salt was um, invoked and it really was a binding covenant between God and the tribe of Judah and David's lineage. The priests, um, when, when they were talking about how that, and these are passages you can read them, I, I'm just telling you, you've got them there. The, the priests didn't have a, a, an inheritance as the other tribes did, but God was their inheritance. And God spoke a lot of things about the, what the priests could do to glean the, the provision from God. And it, it class, classifies that that relationship was bonded by a covenant of salt forever from Yahweh. And then, of course, as I mentioned, from Leviticus 2, the grain offering. Now, I read a lot about this from what goes on in the Middle East and particularly among the, the Arabic peoples, supposedly, and I, I think this is true, even though I've never seen it done, I've never participated in it, uh, if they were, um, the Arabic peoples, if they were going to strike a bargain with one another, come into a covenant, you know, now here in Texas, we have handshake agreements. But for them, they would, they would partake of salt together and they would, through that together, say that we're bound now to be in a covenant relationship regarding this thing. And it was a binding thing between them. It was something that they felt, look, I know in me that I can't over, overwhelm this. Should another agreement come or another opportunity come, this is ingrained in me. And so the covenant of salt is something that God uh, has proclaimed uh, in, in, uh, in response to the, the tabernacle of David, which is what the Gentile church is according to the scripture, us being a priest before the Lord, and the way that God provides for us, and the way that God sustains us. It is an everlasting bond of authority and um, promotion from God that belongs to you. And it should ingrain the fabric of whoever you are, whatever you uh, are in the Lord, and you should recognize that this is what God is still offering to you. And with all of that in mind, you think, of some of the things that are said in the New Testament about salt. And, you know, we have interpreted this, and I think rightfully so, in, in the way of talking about what salt was in the ancient world, which I mentioned earlier, all of those factors and how valuable it was. But I think that we need to go back and look at what the New Testament says whenever it refers to salt, whenever Jesus refers to salt and recognize that it's speaking about that covenant relationship between God and you. 
for your authority to represent him, for your priestly minister, ministry to mediate, and for the provision that God has promised to give to you. I think we need to view that and, and whenever we see salt referenced in the New Testament. And I feel like this is something that God has specifically impressed upon me because I think in the days that we're in and the days we're coming in, we need to be like Abijah when he stood and said, listen, the blessing of the Lord is upon me because the covenant of salt is mine, regardless of the great army that may be against us, regardless of the sons of Belial that may be against us, regardless of what else might be engaging to try to despoil the kingdom of God, the, the covenant of salt is something that is biblical and, and, un, and, and undoubtedly it was what was in the thoughts particularly of Jesus when he said here in Mark 9 verse 50, salt is good, but if the salt hath lost its, his saltiness, wherewith will you season it? How can you restore it? And this, have salt in yourselves and have peace one with another. Have, this is Jesus. This is in red in, your, in most of your Bibles. This is Jesus saying this. Have salt in yourselves. Have that confidence. Don't let the, the identity of kingship or priesthood or, or the covenant for the blessing of the Lord and the provision from God, don't ever let that lose its saltiness in you. Have salt in yourselves. Make sure that you are keeping that sensation of covenant blessing alive in you. And engage in peace one with another. Now this can mean a lot of things. First of all, what peace, we know peace means throughout the Bible. It's, um, it's that you are continually moving on behalf of the mission God has given you, and you're intent on accomplishing it. That's the first thing. Secondly, with one another, if you are confident in what God's blessing is upon you, if you are confident in what what God has commanded you to do and given you to do and created you to do, then you aren't going to have conflict with other people. If you believe that no matter what's going on, God's covenant of salt is with me and, and I'm going to be blessed and I'm going to thrive, then that calms a lot of arguments. I mean, if, you're self, if you are Christ-assured, then you're really not worried about what anybody else may be uh, clamoring for. I, I heard an interview with Morgan Freeman last night from a couple of years ago, and he was talking about this very thing in his own life. He said, he said growing up in America, I've been blessed. And he said, um, I learned to trust the giftings and the skills that I have in my own life. And I know that if I do my best, it's going to turn out okay. And he said, you know what? It has. And I believe that if Morgan Freeman 
can say that, how much more than we can we say that from our perspective of having the covenant of salt within us and the God of all gods who has given that point of agreement to you and to me. I love this passage. I mentioned it yesterday, and um, it's in Luke 14, and then I noticed that our brother Nikon, through the through pro prophetic insight, sent this up on a, on a WhatsApp, and so I think the Lord is really speaking this, but here is, um, here is Jesus in Luke 14, and great multitudes are following him. He turned and said to them, if any man come to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Some people have problems with that. It doesn't mean that, you're, it doesn't mean that Sarah can chase her mama around with a skillet in the kitchen because she hates her. That's not, that would never be in the happy McGill land or the happy Magoo land. But, you know, it, it means a prioritization that the only thing that matters is God. And every other thing, prophetically, you have to die to. And he says, if you're not being that, you can't be my disciple. And then he says, whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We've taught about the cross and how it is God's stake of ownership for the, the histemis of this world and for our own life. And that we bear that cross as the Father directs us. And we take it and establish it wherever he's planted as a testament that we are bought and paid for by the Almighty God's blood. And we are also laying claim to everything in the spirit realm that God has given us to lay claim. This is our stake of ownership right here. And so Jesus says that. But then he goes here. And this is where we really need to pay a lot of attention to, to a theme that we've not really pressed much over the years. Which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has sufficient to finish it, lest haply after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Why would Jesus say this in the context of what he's just said about dying to self, being a disciple, taking the cross and establishing it? Because the first thing God's going to want you to do is to establish your terio. You're laying a foundation wherever you are. And you're building a tower of watch, which Habakkuk talked about. For any seer, I will sit upon my watch and I will write the vision, make it plain that they will run, that reads it. And uh, the vision might tarry, but it will come. Uh, wait on it. But also the tower is a connecting point into heaven. And so the first thing you do when you're a disciple and you've committed yourself to the Lord and you have obeyed by taking the cross is you establish that foundation. The next thing that happens is in verse 31, what king, he calls him a king, going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consult whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him that comes against him with 20,000. Or else while the other is a great, yet a great way off, he sends an ambassage and desires conditions of peace. The second thing you're going to do is you're going to be able to engage in Parat's breakthrough. 
and you're going to have to stand your ground. As David said in Psalm 27, though an host encamps against me, my heart shall not be afraid. Those two things we need to be prepared to do as we are the people of God bearing the cross. And so we're establishing the foundation and we're ready for war. We're ready to defend. We're ready to go forth. Then it says, Likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsakes not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. And here we come to the connective of this covenant of salt. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. So after Jesus says all these things, he talks about being a disciple, he talks about bearing the cross, he talks about laying claim to your foundation where God has planted you and making connection between heaven and earth and being prepared for vision and being a seer. He talks about being ready for war, ready to defend, and ready to go forth. And then he talks about salt. Why do you suppose our Lord, who is the author and finisher, God incarnate, would mix that in, no pun intended, with this series of instructions. It's because when you are doing all of these things, you have to remember that you have a covenant with God, an everlasting covenant, and it is an agreement with him that he intends to honor. It's a point of strength. It's a point of confidence. It's a point of, of uh, being ready to believe for the miraculous. I know we don't talk, we've not really talked about the covenant of salt ever before here. And it is rather an obscure reference, but it is a valuable reference. And, and I would suggest that you do a study for yourself of every place that salt is mentioned in the New Testament and revisit this covenant of salt understanding because it's a powerful point of security and agreement for you with the Lord. Another thing you need to do is at the end of that passage, it says, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. You need to go through all those again because a majority of them have to do with what's happening in the end time. And whenever you see he that has an ear, let him hear, it's talking about you actually using your spiritual ears to hear the deeper things that God is wanting to say to you. And every one of those passages are layered. You don't just take them on the surface. You have to dig deep and get the water flowing of what God is really saying. And in the deeper understanding, you'll find tremendous instruction and counsel for the time in which we're living. One of the ones I almost preached on he that has an ear today, um, but I thought that we needed to go with the covenant of salt. But I included one of them, and I, we're going to come back and finish with Colossians 4. But I included one of them in Matthew 13. This is a well-known passage, and we talked about it a couple of years ago. Well, actually, maybe 18 months ago. 
And it says that, you know, the guy plants a field and he's got good seed and some wicked one comes and plants tares in the midst of, of the field and the, the uh, servants come and they're all flustered. They say, somebody has planted tares in the midst of all of our crops. What do we do? And uh, the, the master says, well, you can't really do anything because if you start yanking the tares out, you're going to ruin the harvest. And how many of you felt that way recently? <laughs> um, it's, it, it's, such a, it's such a meticulous moment that you can't, really, you can't really just be too open because you can destroy good things. So the suggestion of the Lord is just let them both grow together and when the harvest time comes, the angels are going to come through here and they're going to, they're going to get rid of the tares and the, the righteous are going to shine forth as the sun uh, in the kingdom of their father. But I want you to see something here in verse 41. And it says, The Son of Man will send forth his angels. They'll gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those things which do iniquity. Iniquity, anomia, means lawless. And offense is scandalon. I suppose that you can't turn on the television or look at a newspaper without finding somebody who's scandalized about something. It is, it is a cancel culture. People are petrified to say anything because they may lose their jobs. They may get thrown out of universities. And this is happening in um, UCLA, Cornell, Yale, a lot of the main institutions where people are, there's a spirit of scandal and, and it's offense. And so, and here the Lord is saying, this is the Lord saying this. In this time when tares are growing among the wheat, there are going to be influences prevalent among the tares that are offense and are lawless. And we have to guard over that. There's a lot of good things today that God's doing. Wonderful things. Uh, there are a lot of ways that God is improving our nation, improving our country. But right beside that are things that are not wholesome. And separating the two is almost, almost impossible right now. Almost impossible. But God says, keep growing. Keep doing the good things. Keep being what you should be. Let righteousness be established. You keep trusting the covenant of salt within you. You be the best you can be. You let his light shine through you. And be careful lest you drink deeply of the well of scandal, offense, anonomia, lawless. And you know, the Bible speaks, I mentioned last week, the man of lawlessness is some a demonic influence. And you think about this, and I'm not going to go on a geopolitical discussion here because we want to get back to Colossians 3 and finish this sermon. So I don't know where you're going to go. Most restaurants aren't open, but I want to let you go. Um, you know, the, the issue is that when you study about, just in the past century, you study about how... Hitler rose, you study about Stalin and his purge, you study about how Mao took power, 
All three of them, which are main things if you paid attention at all in history class, you found out that the influences they used were these two, lawlessness and scandalon. They would find somebody to demonize, and they would, they would rally people against that, and through that then they would sneak in an agenda. For Hitler, it was the Jews. For Stalin, it was anybody that was an intellectual or anybody that was of the old order. For Mao, it was intellectuals. They made people who taught wear dunce caps, and anybody who saw them in the street, the people were able to smack them with a stick. Isn't that awful? Isn't that awful? But it was lawless, and it was scandalon. And through that spiritual atmosphere, wickedness could rise. And we, if anybody's paying attention, unless you're actually, if you actually are a Marxist, then you probably want this. If you are a fascist and you use the moniker to say anybody, everybody else is a fascist, then these things make sense. But this is the way the Antichrist is going to move. This is what it says over and over in those scriptures that we preach about the end times. And we, we should know that it's an influence. So what do we do about it? First of all, we know it. And secondly, we move as covenant people. We do the right. We are fruitful now. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. We pursue God. We're innovative. We're creative. We love. But don't miss the things that the Spirit is revealing that are happening in our world. Call them in your own heart what they are. And it's not going to do you any good to say you guys are demonic and, you know, you're... You're a spirit of uh, uh, the wicked one, and you know that, that's not going to help anybody. They're not going to hear it. The point is, what was the advice here in the he that hath an ear passage? You shine in the kingdom of your Father, and you let goodness arise. And the angels are going to come and deal with this. It, it, this is going to be dealt with by God. He's the only one that can deal with it. And, um, but study the he that hath an ear passages. You've got time. Make that part of your, your um, discussions before the Lord this week. But we go back up to finish at Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Paul the Apostle says, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the kairos. Boy, that's a big verse for you. Walk in wisdom. You know, choose your battles. Choose when to battle and when not to battle. Choose, keep that key on the lock on your lips, in your hand, and don't, don't leave it unlocked. <laughs> Unlock it when you need to say something, let your words be few. But this is what God is warning us, because we're to redeem this Kairos moment. We talked about Kairos. Pastor Vicki uh, on Voices recently talked about Kairos. And we need to recognize that this is a time that we need to be redeeming. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. You may know how you ought to answer every man. Recognize the moment. Recognize your covenant identity with God and in God. Recognize this yeah, this privilege that we have to thrive in this moment. And um, be careful how you answer every man. 
Sometimes the best answer is no answer. Sometimes the best answer is, that's why Jesus spoke in parables so many times. When people try, you know, they would say all kinds of things to him because these influences were there in Jerusalem when Jesus was alive in those 33 years that he walked on this earth as a man. They would try to trap him. They would try to give him an answer that would, you know, between, and Paul used this too. The Pharisees and the Sadducees would be there and, and, and Jesus and Paul would say something that neither one of them could do anything with. Sometimes he'd speak in parables, which would communicate the message that nobody, and nobody could really get angry. Your identity in God and your serving of the Father is what's most important. And, um, you know, Jesus said, you know, they complain about me. They say, we piped and you didn't dance. And he goes through these things. Hey, there's a lot of piping that want to get you to dance to the music. And if you don't dance, you know, if you don't dance, well, then you're whatever. They said the same things about Jesus. And so just recognize, though, that if, if you've got great pressure to, to join in on something that you don't feel right about, get out of it. You know? So the point of this is proactive. That we have to recognize that we're in a Kairos moment from our Father. We are saints, sons of the Most High God. We have a covenant partnership with Him that is eternal. And you say, well, I still don't understand this business of salt. Well, some of you have so much salt in your body, you have to watch what you eat. Isn't that right? I've seen some of you. Down in Brazil, you know, people love salt so much that they had to restrict putting it on the tables in restaurants. And in most places, you have to go up to the front if you want salt, and they give you a little teeny weeny packet of it. So salt is something that's part of all of us. And it's just interesting that uh, God calls this covenant a covenant of salt. Rely on that. Rely. You should even speak it forth, just as Abijah did to, to Jeroboam and his forces. You should say to the enemy, this will throw him. Of course, he's hearing it now. He's going to wait to see if you do it. I am a covenant son of the Most High God. The covenant of salt is with me. He won't know what to do about that. He'll be surprised that you know that. Use it because it's biblical. You are the priests of the Most High God. You are kings before him, and the blessing of the Lord for the land and for the spirit realm is yours. You've been called to be Christ's disciple. You've been called to bear his cross. You've been called to establish a foundation place wherever it is that God has planted you. You've been called to be a warrior, and you must not let the saltiness of that covenant lose its savor. That's what Jesus said. Amen? So have salt within yourselves and be at peace with all people. I have a feeling that when you stand as salt in yourself, you, you recognize in these days that second part, to be at peace with all men, is, is most wise in its advice, isn't it? Stay on focus. 
Choose your battles. I remember one time, and I'm closing with this, I had not been pastor for very long, maybe a year, and um, there was a family in the church. They used to sit right back there, nice people, but um, one of their grown kids was having an episode. And sometimes in a church, when somebody has an episode, they're not happy until four or five others are in the episode. And I saw it happening, and we had a staff meeting, and I remember Pastor Paul said to me, Pastor, what, what, what do you think we should do about this? And I said, well, I prayed about it, and I don't think we should do anything about it. I said, we need to choose our battles here in this church, and if you're fighting everything, you're going to end up wearing yourself out. And I said, this is going to resolve itself. It's going to collapse inside itself, so just let it go. We don't need to get involved in this. And everybody just looked at me, and I thought, I know this is what the Lord said. And sure enough, within a week, it was funny, really, well, not funny. It was a blessing to see the, the way the Lord, I'm going to be real pastoral now, the way the Lord healed that whole thing. But how the rubber mate meets the road is they kind of turned on one another, and pretty soon they recognize, ain't nobody winning this battle, so we're just going to call a truce and let it be done. And it just all blew away. That's what's going to happen. You know, every week there's a new thing. Almost every other day there's a new thing. And this, these spirits of scandalon and anomia are just going to keep trying to stir people up. And the, the objective is to make the way for a ruler to come that will be okay with everybody. So, you know that. You've read the Bible. You know what's going to happen. So be wise and shine in the kingdom of your Father. Do His good works and let His blessing be upon you. Move in the covenant that He's made with you and work for the night is coming when no man can work. Don't wear yourself out trying to solve these issues. You're not going to solve the issue of a, of a principality. You're not going to counsel a principality out of his nonsense. You're just not. And you say, well, God could do it. Yeah, but God hasn't done it, has he? Has he? God could have wiped the enemy out. Boom! I'm sure God has had enough of his nonsense more times than not. But it's all playing out according to the scripture, and God's working it for the good. So don't think that you and me are going to be able to stop what the Scripture says is going to be happening all the way up to the time of the end. What we need to know is what we're supposed to be doing and to do it well and to welcome the blessing. We've got a harvest field of the world. People are hungry. Just that testimony of those folks in Ohio and West Virginia and Kentucky now. These people are hungry. The message that is, that's old for us still has power, but is old for us, is brand new for them, and it's causing them to weep tears of joy. This is happening all over the world. So we must sow. We must be what we're to be. And we must be faithful. Because our Father, in that covenant He's given us, that's exactly what He wants us to do. Do I wish things were different in, another, in some of these ways? Yes, of course I do. As an American, I grieve over things that I see happening in our nation. But God is, 
is the one that called us into the saintly nation. And we are citizens of heaven. We're in this world. We're not of this world. We need to keep our focus on what God has given us to be, and we need to be it. We need to absolutely be it. These are great days. These are great days. And I said I'm finishing two or three times, Ken. I don't know why I keep going. When Rachel leaves, I'm done. Keep her in here. I always like to pick on Rachel Robert because she's got that bright smile. and She's just so, so kind. Um, you know, God is with you. Don't ever forget it. Don't ever forget it. He's got it all figured out. He's not lost control. And um, we are, we're about to see things that we have only dreamed of prophetically. God is going to move in magnificent ways. What's been intended for evil is going to be turned for good. And the great pouring out of the latter rain and the former rain is coming. The, 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 the cloud the size of a man's hand is already in the sky. It's coming. And so we need to, we need to look up for a redemption draws nigh. And we need, to, we need to stand strong. God is in control and he is in covenant with you. Amen? Father, I thank you for your goodness to us and I speak blessing over all of these precious members of the ecclesia. God, use your people. Use these saints. Let us be strong in the Lord and in the power of your might. And Lord, thank you for allowing me to be able to declare this obscure thing, but vital thing about the covenant of salt. And I, I invoke that now, and I proclaim it now into every one of our lives. We are moving in this kingly, priestly, and um, uh, I don't want to say mercantile, but the provision of the Lord uh, vein of how you're doing things. Thank you for this. And I speak blessing over all of our people for this week. I continue to declare the blood of Jesus, and I, I proclaim life and health for everyone that we would walk in the vitality of the Most High. Thank you for this, Lord. We love you, Father. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. God bless you, everybody. Watch your social distancing now. Be, be careful. Monica, I think you're socially distanced well. You're, you're 50 feet. <laughs>